the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You uh, have joined us here on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. We uh, have done this show on the weekend on TLN for many years, and we're always thrilled when you join us. Alan Dempsey is our engineer today, and uh, Jake, uh, my my producer is Andrew Herdliska. Uh, Andrew lines the guests up and uh, handles all the details. And the first detail is Dr. Gary Chapman. He's with us from Winston Salem, North Carolina. The a very, very successful author. His latest book is out. It's called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. Gary, good to catch up with you, and I'm uh, really pleased you can join me. Well, thank you, Pat. I'm glad to be with you today. The publisher, Moody Press. Okay, Gary, anger. It's a big. Is it a big deal? It is a big deal, Pat. Uh, you know, I've been working with marriages and families now for many, many years, and uncontrolled anger has destroyed many relationships. So uh, I think many people do not have an understanding of where anger comes from, what the purpose of anger is, and consequently they're controlled by the emotion of anger rather than controlling the emotion. So uh, I think anger and anger management is a huge issue. Where does anger come from, Gary? I believe, Pat, and this may surprise you or at least surprise some of your listeners, I believe that anger is rooted in the nature of God. Now, uh, let me let me clarify. <laughs> the Bible says God is holy and God is love. But the Bible and the Bible never says God is anger, but it does say God is angry with the wicked every day. Mm. Why does God get angry with the wicked? Because God is holy and because God loves us. And God has given us principles to live by. And when we violate those principles, go against his commandments, God is angry because he knows it hurts us, it hurts everybody around us, and consequently, God feels angry. So I believe that we feel angry because we're made in the image of God, and we have a concern for right. This is true whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. Every human being has a sense of right and wrong. And when you violate their sense of right, they will experience anger. I believe that's where it comes from. Uh, Granted, uh, you know, we're not God, and we're fallen creatures, but we do have a sense of right and wrong, and I believe that that is where anger comes from. When can anger do good, Gary? I think when it's turned in a positive direction as God intended. Uh, People often ask me, you know, what, what is the purpose of anger from God's perspective? I think... It's to motivate us to take constructive action. Uh, You know, Pat, if you look at all great social reform, it has all been born out of anger. Uh, The slavery movement in this country, when did it finally end? When enough people got angry and said, this is not right. And Wilberforce in England and others in this country worked and worked and worked until that chapter of our history was brought to a close. The same thing is true with, take a modern organization or more modern, like Uh, Mothers Against Drunken Drivers. Where did that come from? Anger. Here was a drunken driver, kill a child with a car, three weeks later, driving back on the road again, paid a $300 fine. And mothers said, this is not right. So they organized. They sat in the courtrooms. They eyeballed the judges. And what happened in the last 15 years? The penalty for driving under the influence has gone up. So I do think that in God's purpose, whether it's social ills or whether it's individual wrongs that are committed, anger is designed to motivate us 
to confront the issue and seek to right the wrong. Now, on a human level, that means we're confronting the person who who hurt us, the person who sinned against us, and we're doing what Jesus said. You know, when I, when your brother sins against you, you rebuke him, you confront him, and Galatians six says you do it gently. <laughs> uh, I like to say you're saying to the person, "I want you to know that uh, I'm hurt, I'm angry." I want to tell you why. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but I really want to get this right because I value our relationship. So the anger motivates us to set things right. Dr. Gary Chapman is my guest, uh, author of The Five Love Languages, the uh, number one New York Times bestseller. Uh, Gary's new book is out. It's called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. Next topic, Gary, when you're angry for good reason. I think uh, this is when there has been a legitimate wrong committed. And let's face it, uh, not all anger is legitimate. Uh, That is, we often get angry not because someone did wrong, but because someone did not do what we wanted them to do. This often happens in the family. A husband will get angry with his wife because she didn't take his shirts to the laundry, or she didn't do this or didn't do that. Or he'll get angry because he heard her say something on the telephone to someone that, that, that stirred his anger. But when you dig into it, you find out she didn't do anything wrong. He misunderstood what she said. Uh, she didn't, uh, wasn't committing a sin when she didn't take his shirts to the laundry. She forgot. Forgetting is not a sin. Forgetting is human. <laughs> so a lot of our anger falls in the category uh, that I call distorted anger. But the good anger, uh, or the legitimate anger, is when someone does commit a wrong. And uh, there, as I said earlier, the purpose is that we're to go to them. We're to try to straighten this thing out. We're not to hold it inside, and we're not to lash back at them. We're to go confront them with what's happened, and hopefully they're going to repent of what they did. We're going to be able to forgive them, and our relationship can move down the road. The next thing I want you to talk about, Gary, is when anger is wrong. Yeah. Well, I think this is when it's selfish. <clears throat> it's self-centered. Uh, and, and it's not hard to figure this out. Uh, you know, I suggest to people that uh, you, when you're angry, back off, take a little break, a little break, and ask yourself what wrong was committed. Now, if you can't identify a wrong, then you acknowledge, Lord, forgive me, that I am so self-centered that I got so upset over that issue. And you realize that it's not a wrong. It's just simply they didn't operate on your timetable. They didn't do what you wanted them to do. They failed to do something that you thought they should do. And you confess that to God. Now, that doesn't mean you can't talk to the person about the issue. You can, and you should in a family relationship or any close relationship. But it does mean that we're distinguishing between a genuine wrong and when someone simply doesn't do what we want them to do. Now, Gary, I want you to talk about how to handle bad anger. I think the way we do that is we, we, we release it to God. We talk to God about it. We share the reality with God. Lord, you know that I'm feeling angry. You know what stimulated my anger, and I've been getting angry a lot lately. And it's over little things. It's over things that really don't matter. Uh, and and I, I want to release this anger to you. I want to ask that you help me to learn how to respond positive to my anger so I'm not lashing out at my wife or lashing out at my child. I, I, I want to be in control of anger. I don't want anger to control me. And I believe that God will help anyone who's sincere to learn how to handle anger in a positive way. And that's the objective. It's not to deny anger. It's to determine whether this is what I call definitive anger, a wrong has been committed, or whether it's distorted anger, uh, just simply because they're not doing what I want them to do. And once you settle that, then you can release that bad anger, and the good anger, you can act upon it in a positive way. What can you tell us, Gary, about explosions and implosions? I think sometimes, Pat, uh, Christians, uh, first of all, they've been told that anger's wrong, and they don't want even to admit that they're wrong. And so in my office, sometimes they will say, well, if I say to them, it seems to me like you're angry about this. 
they will say, well, no, no, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed or I'm just hurt. (laughs) They don't want to admit that they have anger because they think anger is sinful. Well, what I say is anger is not a sin, okay? Everybody feels angry. But the key is, am I handling my anger in a positive way? And so uh, there's two ways, typically, that people handle anger in a negative way. One is explosion, and we've all either done it or we've had it done to us. We lash out in harsh words. We say critical statements. We say things we later regret, or we physically lash out at the person. Dr. Gary Chapman is our guest. We've got more with Gary here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God? You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Are you living with pain? but concerned about the side effects of drugs? I was until I started taking one-hour pain relief. And here's Lisa, a brave Marine who was seriously injured in Iraq. After surviving an explosion, I was on horrible painkillers for lingering head, shoulder, and knee pain. My friend told me about one-hour pain relief. Now I'm pain-free without the dangerous side effects. One-hour pain relief is an all-natural extract from hops, the plant used to flavor beer. It's safe and effective without the chemicals found in drugs. And your all-day relief starts in less than one hour. Get a free one-week trial for just a small shipping charge with no automatic shipments. Call 800-700-8010 right now or visit OneHourPainRelief.com. If you suffer from pain but worry about side effects, call 800-700-8010. Stop living with pain. Call 800-700-8010 or visit OneHourPainRelief.com. Hi, this is Dr. Ahmad from the Salt Room Wellness Center at Millennia, inviting you to my brand new program, Healthy Positive Living. Now, Saturday afternoon at 4, every week we discuss an important topic that will pertain to your health concerns from an integrative point of view. And this isn't another stale health show. It's informative, exciting, and we'll have some fun along the way. We'll see you here for your healthy, positive living. Saturday afternoon at 4 on the new 950 WTLN. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. My guest is best selling author Dr. Gary Chapman from Winston Salem, North Carolina. His new book is out with Moody Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. Gary, the anger that lasts for years, what do you teach us here? You know, Pat, I think many people have what we commonly call stored anger. It's been there for a long, long time. And the way it got there was we were hurt. People did us wrong. It may have been parents. It may have been siblings. It may have been school teachers. And as we get older, it may have been people we worked with. People did wrong to us, and we experienced anger. We should have experienced anger. But we didn't know how to deal with the anger, so we held it inside. And uh, often this happens early in life when a child will try to, to discuss with a parent of their anger and the, and the parent says, shut up and go to your room. You're not going to talk to me that way. So they shut up and go to their room. And then they learn how to hold that anger inside because they don't want to have their parents lash out at them. And so they hold that inside through the years. And now they're adults. Perhaps they're married. They have relationships. And they often will overreact to a little thing. It's because all that anger is inside, like there's an anger tank inside of them. And when it finally gets full, they begin to overreact to little things. I sometimes say, Pat, if you want to know if you have stored anger, if you're the kind of person, you're sitting at a traffic light, the light turns green, and the car in front of you doesn't move immediately, you blow the horn. 
(laughs) (laughs) If you blow the horn and that's your pattern, chances are you have stored anger and you're taking it out on that little lady in front front of you. So stored anger, I think, uh, can really uh, destroy family relationships. So what I suggest is if you see this in yourself, get along with God and let's process this with God. Here's what I suggest you do. Get you paper and pencil. Say to God, Lord, I really want to deal with this. Would you bring back to my mind all the people who have hurt me in the past? And so you list the names. You put your mother's name, and you let God remind you of the times when your mother hurt you deeply. Put your father's name, and you write the times that he hurt you deeply. And go right on through your life. All the people who have wronged you through the years, list all those things. And then look at them and ask yourself, what did I do to process this? Did I go to the person? Chances are you didn't. Maybe you tried early on and you got discouraged because your parents wouldn't listen to you. So you say, God, you know, I've held all this stuff inside all my life. And now I'm an adult and I'm your child and I want to get rid of this. So I'm going to turn these people over to you knowing that you're a loving God and a just God. And if they repent of what they did, you will forgive them and I will forgive them. But if they don't, I know that you're a righteous judge. So I'm going to put them in your hands and I'm going to release my anger to you. I want to be free from all the hurts of the past and I want to live with you and walk with you the rest of my life. And I want to learn how to handle my anger in the future in a positive way. Uh, Pat, many people have told me, that going through that experience has really been liberating to them because they get rid of all that stored anger inside. Gary, what about forgiveness? I think forgiveness is a godly response to a sincere apology. You know, how does God forgive us? Because we're instructed in Ephesians 4 to forgive others in the same way that God has forgiven us. How does God forgive us? When we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. God does not forgive everybody. God forgives people who confess their sins, acknowledge they need forgiveness. So we forgive people who who come to us apologizing for the wrong they've done. And incidentally, the scriptures say if they don't come and apologize to you, you go to them and you share with them your hurt and your anger and why you're angry, giving them a chance to focus in and either admit that they're wrong or to explain it to you because maybe you misunderstood it. So either way, I think we can we can have resolution to the problems that stir anger up inside of us. So I just think it's so important that we take anger seriously and we respond in a positive way rather than a negative way. Dr. Gary Chapman is with us. His book is out. It's called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. The next topic, Gary, when you are angry at your spouse. <laughs> That never happens, does it? Never happens. Never happens. You know, Pat, I'm going to be very honest. I don't ever remember getting very angry until I got married. (laughs) (laughs) And I experienced a lot of anger toward my wife in those early years. And most of it was distorted anger. That is, I got mad because she wouldn't do what I wanted her to do, you know. Mm. And uh, and then I, I, I really didn't get super, super, super angry until I had a teenage son. Mm. And, and and he and I would get into it over and over and over again. I remember one time when I finally realized that I was not handling my own anger. You know, I was yelling at him, and he was yelling at me. And I said to him after we had one of those episodes, I said, Derek, I said, you know, I'm going to just admit to you that uh, as your dad, I'm not handling anger very well. And I scream at you, and you scream at me, and I don't like that, and I know you don't like it. Why don't we try to learn how to handle anger in a positive way. And uh, next time you feel angry, you just say to me, Dad, I'm angry. Can we talk? And I'll listen to you, and I'll do the same with you. And that was the beginning point in really learning how to handle anger with him. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think the same principle is true with us and with a spouse. Uh, yes, husbands get angry with their wives, and wives get angry with their husbands because in their mind the spouse is not treating them fairly. And so uh, I think we have to process the anger. And if a couple can say in a time in which they're not angry, you know, why don't we try this? The next time you get angry with me, uh, just just tell me. Don't sulk for three days. Mm. Just come to me and say, honey, I'm feeling angry. Can we talk? 
and, and I'll sit down and listen to you. You can tell me why you're angry. I'll, we'll try to process it in a positive way. If a couple will intentionally do that and set that up as a, as a pattern, then they will learn to process their anger rather than either holding it inside or lashing out with harsh words. Gary, how about those three-day sulks? Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. They're... they're uh... <laughs> That's a pattern. I, yeah, we've been there. For some people, yeah, that's exactly right. It's a pattern. And what, they, what they've what they done, that's the way they have traditionally handled their anger. Uh, before they got married, if they were angry at someone, that's what they did. They held it inside for three days. And if, if a parent or a work, a work associate said to them, uh, something wrong, they said, no, 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 everything's fine. You know, and that's, that's the way they do with their spouse now. If the spouse recognizes in their behavior that they're not talking and they're, you know, and they're kind of withdrawn and they say something wrong and they'll say, oh, no, 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 everything's right. You know, it's just that that's a learned pattern, but it's a negative pattern. Mm. And that's why I think we have to be willing to change our uh, ways of communicating to each other. And one of the things we have to learn, especially in a marriage, is how to be open and honest with each other about our positive emotions and our negative emotions. And we have to learn how to process anger in particular. What do you write about helping children handle anger? I think it's one of the uh, primary uh, things that we need to teach children. All children will get angry because they also have a sense of right and wrong. You know, if you listen to little children when they're first beginning to put words into sentences, one of the first things they say is, that's not fair, Mommy. <laughs> That's not fair, Daddy. <laughs> Where'd they get that idea? I think it's because they're made in the image of God, and they have a sense of right and wrong. And so when you do something that they think is not fair, that's, they, they feel angry. So I think we have to recognize that all children will get angry, and much of that anger is distorted anger. That is, they don't get their way. You didn't give them the cookie they wanted. You didn't buy them the toy they asked for in the store. Uh, so when children don't get their way, uh, they often get angry, distorted anger. And I'd say two things. One is, you don't ever let temper tantrums change your position. Mm. You said no to the purchase of a cookie or a candy bar or whatever, and so they start you know, yelling and screaming and throwing their arms around, and here you are in the store. And so in order to avoid embarrass, embarrassment, uh, you say, okay, 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 I'll get it for you and you get them the cookie. Well, you've just taught them the way you get things you want is to pitch a fit. And so they'll pitch a fit every time they're in the grocery store. So you don't ever mm-hmm. let that kind of behavior work for a child. And you tell them when you in the store, if you continue this, you will not get a candy bar next week, next week either. And when they learn that, that negative behavior is not working, in fact, it makes it worse for them, then they'll stop having temper tantrums when they're little. And the same principle is true for a teenager. You know, let's say the teenager says uh, uh, you have a rule that they have to wash the car on Saturday if they want to drive the car that week, and if they don't wash the car, they lose the privilege for two days. I'll guarantee you the first time they do that, they're going to come to you for the keys. And when you say, uh, I'm sorry, son, you remember? You didn't wash the car, so you lose the privilege for two days. Oh, Dad, da, da. And then, there they go. Don't ever give in to that kind of behavior. Mm. Say, I understand why you're upset. I would be upset, too, if I were in your shoes. But, you know, a rule is a rule, and we have to follow the rules. So we have to teach our children how to process their anger, but we don't let negative responses to anger become a way of life. And often, they've learned it from us. Uh, I remember the teenager who sat in my office and said, my father yells and screams at me, telling me to stop yelling and screaming at him, you know? So I think as parents, you know, one of the best things you can do with a teenager is to apologize for your own behavior. And when you apologize to them for your lack of handling anger in a positive way, they're now going to take you seriously because they see you're trying to be honest with them. Gary, the next topic I want you to tell us about is when you were angry at God. I think, Pat, this happens uh, more often than we like to admit. Uh, You know, you're a solid Christian. You're really walking with God. You're trying to do what's right. And your spouse comes down with some dreaded disease, and you pray and pray and pray that God will heal and God will heal. 
and God doesn't heal, and they die, and they're young. And often we feel angry with God. You did me wrong. You know, I've lived for you, I've walked with you, and here you've allowed this to happen to me. Any number of things can happen in life at which we get angry. Uh, And that happened in the Bible. You know, Jonah got angry with God when the people repented after he had told them, God's going to destroy you in 40 days, and they repented, and God forgave them. And Jonah got angry with God, and he said, look, you made me look like a fool. I told them you're going to destroy the city, and now you've forgiven them. (laughs) And God said, Jonah, that's the whole purpose of your preaching, so they would repent, and I could forgive them. You're a success. (laughs) Uh, So we have others in the Bible who got angry with God, and typically uh, they told God about it. You know, Job, Job told God how he was feeling as well. And God didn't explain it to Job. He, he did explain it to Jonah, but he didn't explain it to Job. So I think often, yes, we may experience anger toward God. And I suggest that we tell God about it. We just talk to God about it. Lord, you know how I feel. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is where I am, and this is what I'm feeling. Pour your heart out to God, and chances are you will hear the still, small voice of God saying to you, I understand, son. I understand, daughter. My ways are higher than your ways, and I know you're not getting it, but trust me. And that, that, that still, small voice of God brings peace to your heart after you've gone through something that's been very, very difficult in life. Now, uh, I want you to talk about I'm angry at myself. Yeah, we don't, we don't often acknowledge this, that we have anger toward ourselves. But I think especially as Christians, when we do wrong, we often get angry with ourselves. You know, we, we, we did something that we never thought we would ever do, and, and, and God convicts us, and we realize we've done wrong, and we confess to God. But now we have to live with the consequences of what we did, and, and we get angry with ourselves, and we beat ourselves up. Why did I do that? How stupid could I have been to have done that? Look what, look what that's caused now. I've hurt everybody in my family, and I've hurt everybody in the church, and I've hurt God. So, you know, we get down on ourselves, and we beat ourselves up. And I think two things. One, obviously the first thing we need to do is go to God and confess our sins to God and receive his forgiveness. And God will always forgive us when we come when we come sincerely confessing our failures. Then, I think, we have to forgive ourselves. In fact, I suggest that you stand in front of a mirror and talk to yourself. Our guest has been Dr. Gary Chapman. His book, Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Warning, do not drink milk while watching the hilarious clean comedy videos at GodTube.com. Extended viewing of Safe for the Family comedy at GodTube.com from Christian comedians like Tim Hawkins, Anita Renfro, Bob Smiley, and more may lead to crippling side effects such as watery eyes, runny nose, and a bright red face. (laughs) At GodTube.com, non-offensive good clean humor leads to giggles, guffaws, and howls. Some even experience ROFL. (laughs) Rolling on the floor laughing. GodTube.com may be habit-forming. That's GodTube.com. I'm not kidding. GodTube.com. Have you ever had a time when you felt you heard God's whisper? This may be one of those times. If you or someone you know is pregnant, adoption is a positive alternative and a truly brave decision you don't need to make alone. Life for Kids is a private, nonprofit, Christian, and licensed adoption agency serving women who are pregnant, their unborn babies, and the adoptive families who are praying you will choose life. Life for Kids offers compassionate counseling, adoption planning, information, and support. Have you considered adopting? Life for Kids serves Christian couples called by God to adopt, and they've placed children into loving Christian homes for over 20 years. Is this the whisper you've been waiting for? Adoption is a positive choice. Life for Kids will walk with you on your adoption journey. Visit lifeforkids.com. That's lifeforkids.com. LifeForKids.com 
Heavy rains, storms, takes a toll on your roof. If it's time to replace your roof, do we have a deal for you? Half Price Roofing. Really? That's incredible. Sure is. Half Price Roofing. Roofing service and supplies included. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com right now. No games, no kidding. Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. AmazingRadioDeals.com. Half Price Roofing. AmazingRadioDeals.com. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Dr. Gary Chapman, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his new book, Anger. Well, we've got two uh, fascinating guests, Bill Bennett and Bob White, and uh, we're going to talk about their book, Going to Pot. Why the Rush to Legalize Marijuana is Harming America. Center Street, the publisher. Uh, Bill, Bob, so nice of you to join me. Hope you're doing well. Yes, yes, fine. Thank you. Well, indeed, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, Bill, uh, what's the mission behind the book? Why did you write it? We think that uh, a lot of Americans are uninformed or misinformed about uh, marijuana, what it is, what it does, what its consequences of its use are. Meantime, there's some urgency to this because, uh, like freight trains, legislation rolling down the tracks in a lot of states. You know about this in Florida and, indeed, in other states as well. We have the examples of Colorado and Washington State already where uh, medical marijuana legalized and now recreation is legalized. Before uh, these trains keep rolling, we want to bring some facts to the public's attention so it is better informed about uh, what marijuana is and what it does. Bill Bennett is the former director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy under President of the First George Bush. Robert White Esquire began his legal career as an assistant U.S. attorney in New Jersey. Bob, the first chapter is called Marijuana Use is Not Safe or Harmless. On the contrary, it is dangerous. Can you uh, fill us in on that first thought? Sure. Two of the things that I think um, most informed us as we began to research for the book Um, were that, one, the marijuana today, the THC content, which is the psychoactive element, is multiple times the strength that it was um, when Bill and I were in college back in the 60s or through the 70s, 80s, and even into the early 90s. Um, Historically, the THC content was about 3 to 3.5% at its strongest in the average marijuana smoke. Today, on average, it's about 14%, but if one goes to Colorado into some of the medical marijuana stores, you will find the advertised content mostly runs between 20% and indeed up to 35%. It's a very different substance with very different effects on individuals. The second element that we uh, were somewhat surprised and pleased about is because of the greater uh, social acceptance over the last decade of marijuana, and the concept, which we'll get into, about medical medical marijuana. More and more research is being done by some of the finest medical and research institutes in the United States and around the world. And what is becoming clearer, both because of the efforts of those uh, scientific studies, as well as the research tools they had, which weren't effect, which didn't exist 20 years ago. And I think, in particular, MRIs, which can show the impact it has on the developing brain. We are learning about the multiple negative consequences, both the short-term and long-term impact of heavy marijuana use. And it's frightening, and that those two elements combine to convince us that this story needed to be told to try to stem the, you know, this train wreck which is coming, which is, is greater legalization, therefore greater utilization of marijuana in society. Bill, what is medical marijuana? Uh, I'm going to defer to Bob on this. He's more expert than I, but can I just piggyback on your earlier question? Please, please do. Because the focus here, and we you know, we, we, we go to some pains to point this out, these initiatives will say this is only about adults, it's not about children, but it is about children. The evidence in Colorado is the marijuana is getting to children. Marketing is aimed at children, uh, lollipops, candy bars in the shape of very familiar uh, children's products uh, are sold uh, in great numbers and 
advertised uh, in great numbers. And the reason we point this out is you cannot keep kids from this. Uh, they have it in Colorado and, you know, uh, didn't take very long for the kids to get their hands on it. And the consequences, as Bob noted, the effects are so bad on kids. Uh, everything from attention span to focus to memory to motivation. Uh, we know, for example, start in a young age and smoke for 10 years, you will lose eight IQ points, eight IQ points. That's a lot. Average IQ 100, drop to 92. Nobody can afford that. Also, addiction rates are much higher uh, if you start young. Um, also, it is, despite what people say, it is a gateway drug. Uh, not everybody who uses marijuana goes on to use other drugs, but anybody who uses, who, who has used other drugs has probably started with marijuana. Uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, when uh, we reprint an article, the entire article from New England Journal of Medicine, summarized all of the effects, all the consequences of drug use, both habitual, addictive, regular, and occasional. And just using marijuana once a week can have such a deleterious effect on the young mind, we think you know, there ought to be warning posters up anywhere. I just wanted to get in that point. I was drug czar, but I was also secretary of education. The young mind is, you know, the focus of, of my attention uh, in this whole thing. And um, um, so I just want to get those points in. But but Bob, Bob needs to say about medical marijuana and how this has led to the more general play. Well, let, let, let's start with the fact that med- marijuana is not a medicine. First, no doctor in America can actually prescribe marijuana. It would violate his or her DEA-authorized prescription drug pad. Secondly, the state laws in those states that have, quote, medical marijuana uh, don't require prescriptions, since that's not possible. They require recommendation notes or letters from a doctor, and normally the state then issues a card to the individual. You won't find marijuana in any pharmacy, and never in the history of the FDA has there been any authorized form of medicine that's lit up and inhaled. It's in, uh, marijuana that, for, quote, medical use, is acquired at these dispensaries which pop up uh, in various states. Some other aspects which are non-medicine-like. First, the dosage and the strength, the THC level, are left up to the user, the dispensary, or the grower, many of whom are competing for business based on increased potency of their marijuana. If you look at the advertising in states, once again, like Colorado, which is going the furthest, there's a race to the top with dispensaries advertising and promoting increasingly high levels of THC. Uh, the, the notion that we would define medicine uh, through either a legislative fiat or a popular referendum undermines our entire national drug approval system. The FDA has stringent technical and evidence-based standards which it utilizes to protect all Americans from dangerous, ineffective, or fraudulent drugs. The medical marijuana myth circumvents that entire system. It, it perverts it. Um, there are various states which allow marijuana use by individuals under certain categories. Uh, age-related HIV wasting syndrome, uh, multiple sclerosis spasticity. Uh, you have cancer patients for whom might receive <clears throat> excuse me, some relief from pain. It's fascinating to note in two states with the largest percentage of individuals with medical marijuana cards, Colorado and California, that over 94% of the individuals who have those cards have none of the, the quote, diseases or, or the uh, ailments for which marijuana is supposedly beneficial. What they claim is severe pain. Ironically, in Colorado, 76% of the individuals with cards for pain are between 18 and 32 and they're male. A highly unlikely group to really be experience severe pain. Medical marijuana has been the ruse, it, it, it's been the camel's nose in the tent to get full legalization and it's worked, We, as we know, it's worked in Washington, it's worked in Colorado State, Oregon and Alaska. Bill Bennett and Bob White are with us. We're talking about their book uh, going to pot, why the rush to legalize marijuana is harming America. The third topic, Bill, that you uh, two get into, legalization and its effects. Well, what, what do you write about here? 
Well, the main thing there, Pat, is to point out the degree to which uh, saying that something is illegal, uh, that there are penalties uh, for its use, does make a difference. We know that if we chart uh, permission and use, uh, you will see the correlation. If you give legal permission to use something, uh, you're going to have more people using it. Uh, and if you legalize marijuana, you're going to have more people using it. Add to it uh, legalization. The massive kind of advertising, if you've been to Denver lately, you'll see the signage up, uh, and promotion. Uh, and bear in mind, the people who are promoting uh, marijuana, particularly among the young, want to do it, especially among the young, because that's where you uh, addict people. Now, you can't advertise for illegal activities. Um, therefore, legalization makes a huge, uh, has a huge impact there. It gives approval. Uh, a lot of people just avoid doing something uh, because it, uh, it is against the law. We know, because the survey analyses have, have been done, that uh, legalization, therefore approval, is interpreted by people as a recommendation. We talked to a child psychiatrist in Denver who treats uh, four children and their families, and um, she said to a woman, uh, your 11-year-old is on marijuana. And the mother said, well, it's fine, isn't it? It's legal. Mm. This is the common sense notion of legal, which is nothing wrong with it, not a problem, might as well use it. Mm. We, we also know, Pat, that with respect to um, uh, adolescent use of drugs and, and marijuana in particular, there are three factors which most influence the level of that use. The first and most significant is the perceived risk, risk not only of the health consequences, but the consequences of it being illegal, the, the social implications and potential criminal implications and what that might do to defer, to, uh, to defer people from um, using it. Second, we know the uh, second factor is availability. Well, obviously, if we legalize, we're going to make greatly increase the availability. And the third is cost. And once again, as we expand the market, uh, as we expand supply, we're going to find that the price is going to go down. All three will most negatively impact uh, the percentage of the young people using marijuana and therefore the, the consequences. The other factor is, and this is a, an important one with which I don't think it's enough play. Everybody can talk about big uh, tobacco or talk about big alcohol and they're advertising and pushing their product. Well, there's going to be big tobacco. There's big money here. And once it's legal, we're big, big marijuana. Big, you said, you yeah, said big, tobacco. big marijuana is on its way. Um, and, uh, that is something which is going to dramatically alter, uh, the usage patterns and therefore the negative consequences. So what lies ahead uh, 10 years from now? A whole nation hooked on marijuana? I, 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 don't, I don't think so, because I think someone will put on the brakes. We have been to Colorado several times, talked to audiences there. Um, I think uh, second thoughts are, trying to sit, are starting to settle in, and I think they look at the quality of life, what's happened to communities, uh, what happens around marijuana dispensaries, the fact that they haven't gotten rid of the black market. Uh, the fact that, indeed, uh, sometimes big-time drug dealers from Mexico and elsewhere come in to buy their marijuana in uh, in Colorado. Terrible problem with border states um, and other issues. Um, I think Colorado is going to rethink it. They did it by initiative and referendum. They may get rid of it by initiative and referendum. But we want to save uh, states the pain of going through this because um, it's, it's going to be a difficult thing to reverse and there's going to be a body count uh, along the way. I don't think we will see 20 or 30 states going this way, but I can't guarantee it. And right now, public opinion in Colorado is still, at least last time I looked, Bob, I don't know if you've looked more recently, is still in favor of it on grounds. We're the pioneer state. We're showing the way. But when you talk to people at a depth level, they will tell you, shake their heads and say, things are going wrong. It's not that there's a massive number of deaths or murders or suicides. There are a few, a uh, few explosions, lots of overdoses, lots of emergency rooms. But I think you're going to see it in five years, Pat, uh, in the scores, the SAT scores, uh, in the ACT scores in the students. I think you're going to see it in listlessness. I think you're going to see it in the job uh, uh, setting. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, a decrease of motivation 
uh, among a lot of people because that is the absolutely predictable effect of smoking a lot of marijuana. My guest, Dr. Bill Bennett and Bob White, uh, we're talking about their new book, Going to Pot, uh, Why the Rush to Legalize Marijuana is Harming America. Center Street is the publisher. It's a must-read, folks. Uh, so much uh, valuable information here. We got one more segment with uh, Messrs. Bennett and White. Stay with us. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Just make it all stop for a few minutes. Help me, God. Three deadlines, four meetings. Uh, Looks like another late night at the office. Help me, God. I keep coming to these to forget my loneliness. So why do I still feel so alone? Help me, God. Help me, God. We all have moments where we feel we've reached the end of our rope. Discover freedom from anxiety, stress, and fear when you spend time in God's Word. Crosswalk.com is here to help you start living a life filled with joy and peace. Choose to read the Bible and talk to God each day. Receive free daily devotionals from well-known pastors and authors, including Max Lucado, John Piper, Charles Stanley, James McDonald, and more. Find the inspiration and encouragement you need for each day sent right to your inbox. Sign up at Crosswalk.com. That's Crosswalk.com. Join us weekdays at 7 p.m. for Wonders in the Word, a radio broadcast of the everlasting gospel featuring inspiring and life-changing messages from Pastor Doug Batchelor. Wonders in the Word is a program that covers a wide range of topics, including the Sabbath, the Mark of the Beast, health, and many other topics. Wonders in the Word, a radio ministry of amazing facts. Weeknights at 7 p.m. on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN and WTLN.com. Quality, convenient, affordable. Carolina Mountain Water has been serving Central Florida for over 25 years with the best quality and best tasting water at the most affordable prices. Carolina Mountain Water offers free home and office delivery with no annual contract or no minimum order. Get refreshed by calling 407-851-7144. Call today for their special offer. 407-851-7144. Online at carolinabottledwater.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Bill Bennett and Bob White have authored Going to Pot, uh, Why the Rush to Legalize Marijuana is Harming America. Uh, Bob, tell me about drug war myths. Well, I think that there's a sense that if we legalize marijuana, then cartels will simply go away and uh, that will be the end of their participation. I think we're finding just the opposite. In Colorado, uh, the Medical Marijuana Project, which is a pro-legalization organization, in its projection indicated that they believe that 40% of all marijuana sold in Colorado with legalization would be sold on the black market. I believe the numbers are going to come in even higher than that. Why would that be? Well, because in Colorado, uh, there was promised tax revenue from legalizing, and the average tax rate on marijuana sales is various levels, I won't get into details, is 27.9%. Well, that gives a uh, cost benefit to those who want to sell on the black market. They can sell market up 15% and still giving you a 12.9% discount so that the black market continues to thrive. And the notion that the cartels are simply going to go away is to say the least naive. Indeed, what we've seen in some instances where the marijuana uh, has, uh, where they've curtailed somewhat their sales on marijuana, the sales and importation of of heroin has dramatically increased. Um, The the other myth about the drug war, and I think it's one uh, which we address in the chapter following that, is that between 1979, which when illicit drug use was at its highest uh, in recorded American history, and 1992, drug use was dramatically reduced. Indeed, marijuana use went from 
approximately 14% for those age 12 to 17 as regular users in 79, down to 3.4%, an extraordinary success. The notion that a war is only won when there's no more conflict uh, doesn't apply. It doesn't apply to a war on poverty, and it doesn't apply to a war on terrorism or a war on drugs. It's an unfortunate term in some ways. But we had enormous success through the 80s and into the early 90s. Regrettably, that progress has been reversed, I think in large part because of the um, cultural shift in, in the acceptance of marijuana. And part of that was the sale of, quote, medical marijuana. Plus, um, inattention. I would just pick up, Pat, on what Bob said. I was part of this uh, effort, 79 to 92, particularly at the tail end, 88, 89, 90. When I was uh, when I was the first drug czar, country was mobilized on this issue. Country felt strongly about it, and it pushed back. And this notion that you can't do anything about it is particularly ridiculous when it comes to the drug effort, because as Bob cited the numbers, it went from fourteen percent of those users to three point five percent. In nineteen seventy nine, there were twenty five million Americans using some illegal drug. Nineteen ninety two, that was twelve million. Cut it in half. Now, if you cut teenage pregnancy rate in half, the illegitimacy rate in half, if you got SAT scores up 50%, you'd be celebrating and, uh, and uh, you know, setting off Roman candles. Uh, we had this effort uh, in the 80s, through the 80s, right into 92, and people saying there's no point. Well, when we pushed back, and we pushed back on all fronts, it made a huge difference. Drug use went down, drug addiction went down. The price, uh, the price went, uh, went up. The emergency room admissions went way down. This was a good period, and we can recapture that period. We just have to not surrender. Was Nancy Reagan's Just Say No to Drugs uh, campaign successful? Sure it was. With a lot of people, it was. The elites made fun of it. Um, they thought it was so simple-minded, but it made sense to a lot of kids. Uh, I remember talking to Mrs. Reagan about it. That's when I was Secretary of Education. And she asked me what I thought of it. And I said, I think it's fine. I said, let others do the, you know, heavy lifting and the more analytical stuff. But I said, your phrase is great because it's understood by parents and by kids. Just say no. And I, I surveyed uh, students uh, about this. And I said, what can we do to help you say no? And students came back with some great advice. You know, uh, they said, for example, uh, and, and we put this out as a, as a, uh, a poll item, would it be helpful to you to say no to drugs if school policy said you can't be in the band, you can't be on the football team, you can't be on the prom committee, um, you know, uh, unless unless you're clean, unless you're willing to take a test? Students said yes. Because mm. when they had the peer pressure, Pat, mm. someone saying, hey, try this, you need to give them something to say in response so they're not just saying no if that's not enough for them. They were able to say, hey, man, I got basketball practice. I'm on the team. They may test me. I can't do it. The kids were very helpful in this regard and asking us for help. But what's happened now is a lot of adults have abandoned the field. This initiative in Colorado wasn't passed by children. It was passed by adults. How the culture once successfully fought back on substance abuse. Uh, Who wants to tackle that one? Well, I think in some ways that's what Bill was just addressing. Yes. That was... A consequence of not only government policy, but Bill was uh, instrumental in also enlisting the, um, the cultural leaders, some in Hollywood. You know, for much of the 80s, uh, the cocaine war movies, uh, glamorizing uh, drug use, uh, were there. And yet, at some point, even, even, the, even Hollywood had to recognize that this was a true problem and help create a different environment. It could be done again. Unfortunately, we're in just the opposite direction. We're getting more and more TV shows, um, you know, uh, talking about marijuana and, you know, a family owning a marijuana shop, and it's a comedy, uh, and making light of it without any serious discussion uh, or portrayal of the dire consequences for many people. Not, Not everybody, of course not, but for many, and for those, their lives can be disrupted forever. You know, they say nobody dies. But for a lot of people, particularly young people who regularly use marijuana, what dies is their promise. Bill, talk to us about the international experience. Most, uh, very simply, uh, uh, America is 
sorry to say, kind of at the forefront of legalization. Few other countries have moved in this direction, but for the most part, countries that have experimented uh, with legalization and more general recreational permission have pulled back from it. Uh, the most famous was uh, the, the uh, Needle Park in, in Zurich, uh, the Plotschmidt, back there in the 80s when I was working, where they decided to open up an area and let people use whatever drugs they wanted. It became a killing ground, a death ground, and so they so they closed it down. People are watching. They're watching the United States because they watch the United States no matter what it does. But uh, you're not going to see, I think, a lot of countries go in our direction or the direction that Colorado's taken. That's why it's very important um, uh, to monitor exactly what uh, what is happening there. Bob and I have been very frustrated in that a lot of the data we would like to get, we're not able to get. We're wondering why we're not able to get that data. But uh, internationally, you're not going to see this uh, occur. Most leaders of most countries understand, as Governor Jerry Brown, Democrat, you know, not my not my team, but he hit it right. He said, you know, California, and think of other countries in the world here, Pat, California's got a lot of serious problems. I don't think we can address them and say nothing of solving them. Uh, if half our people are buzzed a lot of the time. Mm, mm, mm. You know, Pat, one of the examples that people point to internationally is always the Netherlands. And yeah. the Netherlands has seen, a as we have, a dramatic increase in the THC levels. Uh, they've seen a large number of drug tourists traveling there to buy and smoke marijuana and have tried to put an end to that. They've also, between 2002 and 2009, seen a fourfold increase in the number of special rehabilitation clinics which are aimed specifically at treating teen marijuana addiction. And since 2011, the government, unsuccessfully so far, has been working to try to classify uh, any marijuana with a THC content higher than 15% in the same category as hard drugs as heroin and cocaine. Uh, 15% is just slightly over the average in, in the United States and far less than what you find in the uh, dispensaries in Colorado and California. Bill White, or Bill Bennett and Bob White have been our guests. We've been talking about their book, Going to Pot. It's in bookstores now, uh, Why the Rush to Legalize Marijuana is Harming America. Uh, Center Street is the publisher. Uh, just a reminder, we've got a wrap-up right after this. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do this show every weekend. Always delighted when you can join us. And uh, you're listening to AM 950. It's the new WTLN. Booming across the I-4 corridor in Central Florida. We're based in Orlando. Uh, Stay tuned for our wrap-up. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94.9 9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Folks, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, which we do every weekend. On the new WTLN, that's AM 950 in Orlando. Dr. Gary Chapman was our guest in the first half hour, talking about his new book, Anger. Then it was a privilege to have Bill Bennett and Bob White uh, talking about their book about <clears throat> marijuana, Going to Pot. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, <clears throat> Orlando Magic Pat. And please check out my uh, most recent book. It's out. It's called Vince Lombardi on Leadership. Uh, Amazon.com, a good way to order books and check out what's going on in the book world. In the meantime, have a wonderful day in church tomorrow with your family. And a great week ahead. And we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. 
AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.